Hello, and welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian. I pastor that location, and it's good to talk to you again. There's a big question we're going to talk about today, and that is, what is the point of your life? If you were to boil it down to one thing, one thing that you are here to do, what is the point of your life? We're going to talk about that today. And with us today, we have Pastor Marvin Thomas, one of the pastors at Mount Hope, who normally spends his time at the Burlington location. He visited us in Belmont on Sunday and preached this message, did a fantastic job. I know you're going to enjoy it, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. Well, good morning. Um, If we haven't met, it's definitely a pleasure for myself and my wife, Jen, to be here this morning. Um, It's not, like Pastor Brian said, it's not often that we get to come and worship with, uh, with, this, uh, with all of you in this location, but at any time we get to, it's such a privilege. And so um, the last time I was here, it was very different. I, was, I think it was the beginning of 2017 that we were here, and I see a lot of faces that I don't recognize. And for that, I give God the glory, because He is definitely doing something here in, in Belmont. I want to start off with uh, one quick question. How many of you have someone in your life that says it like it is? Oh boy, a lot of us. No holds barred, doesn't hold anything back, will tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. If you don't have some, someone like that, let me give you a piece of advice. Find them, because they're needed, they're, they're good in, in your life. Um, In a small Midwestern town, a little grandmother, she was called to serve as a witness in a court case. And so she's sworn in, she's on the stand, and the defense defense attorney goes first, and he looks at her and he says, Mrs. Jones, do you know who I am? And she looks back at him and says, Yes, I know who you are, Mr. Williams. As a matter of fact, I've known you since you were since your birth. I've known you since you were a little child. And honestly, uh, you're a little bit of a disappointment to me. You are crafty, you lie, you manipulate situations, and you, you're just not a good person. And all, you just haven't had the sense to realize that you're just a two-bit paper pusher in this town. And so the attorney, he's taken aback, and he's, he's perplexed. He goes, okay, not knowing what to do, he turns over, and he looks, points to the prosecutor and says, do you know who that guy is? And she says, well, as a matter of fact, I know Mr. Barclay. He, too, is a disappointment. He, just like you, lies. He's lazy. He's bigoted. He, uh, he's done all these things that are not good for the county. And as you can imagine, the prosecutor, too, almost passed out. At that point, the judge calls, them, calls both the counsels forward, and he, he leans over and he whispers to them, if any one of you geniuses asks her if she knows me, it's, <laughs> it's the electric chair for you. <laughs> Today, we're going to hear about a man who is going to stand witness. Uh, we've been in the series 
called Belief in the Book of John. And we've been talking through the first chapter of John, and we've talked through a bit of John's understanding and God, how God had revealed to John who he is. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And he talks about how the Word revealed himself. And last week, we went in, into it a little bit more, talking about how the Word would come to us. And today, he's going to take a little bit of a different approach to it. Until this point in chapter 1, he's been talking a lot about what was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And now he is going to put, he's making this case of why you should believe that Jesus is the one. Why you should believe that Jesus is God and that he came and that he came with a purpose and that purpose was to redeem you and me. And so he's going to make a case. And so the first person he's calling to the stand, and you'll read this in John chapter 19. And so let's, let's turn there in John chapter 19. And I'm going to read uh, from the English Standard Version. It'll be right on the screen, so feel free to follow along with me. This is what John says. And this is the testimony of John. When, he, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they said to him, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah has said. So a little bit of context here, John, um, there are a couple of Johns that we're, we're talking about. One is John who writes the book. He's a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is a different John we're going to be talking about to, uh, this morning. So John, we refer to him as John the Baptist or the John the Baptizer. His, one of his big things that he did was baptize people, and so eventually he got the name John the Baptizer. And so here we have John. As a matter of fact, a little bit of his family context, he was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was the high priest at that point. And as a matter of fact, his, his mother, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, they were cousins. So there's a little bit of a family connection here. And so here he is born, and his birth was miraculous in the sense that he was born to Elizabeth at a very old age. But even before he was born, an angel comes to Zechariah and to Elizabeth and says, you're going to have a child, and he has a purpose, and he has a reason why he's coming, but he has a reason for his life. And see, John is born into wealth. His father was a high priest. He's born into a family that had influence. He's born into a family that made a difference in the nation, and so he, they're well-known. And now here he is, if you follow the story of John, he leaves all that behind. He leaves his family heritage, he leaves all that, and instead he goes out into the wilderness and chooses a different path for himself. If you read about John in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew writes like this, this is how he was dressed. He had a robe of camel hair. And he had a, a, a leather sash to tie it all together. He was a Nazarene, so his, his hair was grown out. 
I mean, he had the whole lumber sexual look going for him. He was the, the original hipster, as you may call it, the ironic clothing, the ironic way of dressing, the, the way that looks so different from everyone else. And here's John, and he's preaching to, his, to the people, and his message was a little intense. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, this is what he's saying. This is how he's preaching. You brood of wipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? It's a little tough. It's almost like I come to Metman Hope today, and I see a couple of you visitors, and I come up to you, and you, I, I come up to you, and this is what I say. You dirty, rotten snake. Who told you to come here? You're probably sitting there going, I like this place. I feel right at home. I'll be back next week. His approach was a little tough. He looks at the religious leaders, and he's looking at the people in that day, and he's saying, you need to repent. His, his role, his ministry was this. He would confront them with their sin. He would challenge them to repent, and when they did, he would baptize them. Matthew records Jesus' description of, of John. And this is how Jesus describes him in Matthew eleven eleven. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty big statement. That's a pretty powerful statement for Jesus to say that there's no one greater than John. That's It's a whole lot packed in there. So today I want to talk a little bit about what is it that John is bringing to the table? Why does Jesus look at him and say he is the greatest born of women? Right? Basically, John has a story. John has a a legacy that he's built, a brand that he's created. So the question is, so what is it about John's story that makes him so great? It can't be the way he lived or the way he dressed or what he ate. It has to be something bigger than that. What was the purpose of his life? What was the point? We too in this room, if we look at our own lives, we have a story. Um, if, we're, if we really look at ourselves, we have a brand that we're creating, or we have a brand that we're portraying our early development years, our family backgrounds, our schooling, our career choices, whatever you have built, it's it's sort of a brand that you have created. And if you think you don't really have a brand, let's look at your social profiles. Let's look at your professional LinkedIn profile, or let's look at your dating profile. There is a brand that we all have in a way, that we're putting forward to the world and saying, here's my brand, this is what I have to offer, this matters. Right, this is what we're telling the world. We're saying that we have a story, we have a brand, and this matters. Some of us will take a lot of time, will take a lot of effort, we may even put a lot of our wealth into promoting this brand. But just as we're asking of John, What makes his story, what makes his brand so great? What is the point of it? What does your story ultimately point to? So real quick, let's jump into into John's story here. So in in chapter 1, verse 19, John says, and this is the testimony of John. So basically, he set him up, he's on the witness stand, and he has something to say. 
You see, John's ministry was pretty successful from the start. As he begins, he starts amassing a lot of people, and they come up to him, and they're listening to him. They're repenting. There are people who are getting baptized, and he has a following. And so the religious leaders of the day, they're a little uncomfortable with the fact that this random guy pops up, and all these people are following him. So they send people to investigate, to ask, what, what is happening? Well, who is this guy? And so as a matter of fact, his following had gotten so big that people started wondering, wait, is this the one that we've been waiting for? Is this the Messiah? And so the people come up to him and say, wait, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And he says, no, I'm not the Christ. Then they they think a little bit more and they say, wait, so are you Elijah? You see, they, in, their, in, in, in the Old Testament or in their religious books, they, they had the prophecy of one that would come who would prepare the way for the Messiah, and he would be Elijah. And so they're looking at John and saying, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not. So are you a prophet? You see, they're living in a time. Over 400 years have gone by since the last prophet came. God has been silent for so long. And they're waiting. And all of a sudden, someone pops up, and they start speaking things of God. And automatically, their mind goes, this must be a prophet. And he says, no, I'm not. Interestingly, his responses get shorter and shorter, and you see this frustration in him. At first, he says, I am not the Christ. And then they ask him again. He says, I am not. And now he's just giving a one-word answer is no. So their question is, Who are you? It's an interrogation that's happening. Who are you? Maybe you've been faced with this question, maybe from your family, your work, or at school. People look at you and they they see something interesting. They see something different. And the question they have for you is, who are you? But here's, here's the point. How you answer that question is tremendously important. If you were asked today, how would you answer? If I were to come up to you and I would ask you, who are you? What are you about? What's your story? What's your brand? How would you describe that? Some of us would take on titles. We may say, I'm a teacher. I'm a lawyer. I'm a scientist. I'm a pastor. Or we may say, I'm a husband or I'm a wife. I'm a mother or a son or a daughter. We have different titles. Where's that identity coming from? See, when people confront John, his response was not to say, this is who I am. I am John, the son of Zechariah, the high priest who comes from a long lineage of people, people who, are, who matter. He does none of that. He says, whatever labels that you have, whatever identities that you're putting on me, I'm none of those. You see, he had every reason to disclose who he was. See, he goes... He's the forerunner for the Messiah. He knows that Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, and that he had to prepare a way for for the people. And for him, he could have stood up and said, this is who I am. This is the role that God has given me. I am important. You have to listen to me. You need to hear me because it matters. But instead, he takes a step back. As a matter of fact, the entire time that they're interrogating him, he never mentions the first thing that you and I would say, his name. He never says, I am John. He takes on this posture where they have to ask him again. 
And this is what he says in verse 23. When asked, he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. John's identity came from his purpose. His purpose was simply this, make straight the way for the Lord. See, John's audience would have immediately picked up what that meant because, again, it's, they know who the prophet Isaiah was. Isaiah was a big deal for them. And so, and so they would have immediately picked up and said, oh, wait, there is a prophecy, prophecy that one would come and he would prepare the way and then the Messiah would come. So they would immediately pick up on that. That whole phrase, make the way straight, back in those days when a king traveled, he would have a crew go before him, almost like a road crew or a dirt crew who would go before him, before the king would even come, and he would straighten out, they would straighten out the roads and the, you know, clear up all the potholes from all the snow and the salt and all that, and he would take care, they would take care of that. So that when the king came, it was an easy journey. They would prepare the way for the king. And so John goes and he's saying, that's who I simply am. I'm the road crew. I'm the one cleaning up the mess so that when the Messiah comes, he can come and you, he would be listened to. He didn't have to make himself known. He didn't have to prove himself by where he came from, his legacy. His, simply, his answer was simply this. I am here to make the way for the Lord. This is what John's saying. My life's work is to point to Christ. Simply put, he sees himself as a signpost. Many of us, we use signposts. If you're not hooked up to GPS completely, you may actually see those big green things on the highway that says Burlington this way, Belmont that way. Those are signposts, and their function, their only function is this. Follow this direction to get to where you need to go. And John is saying, my function in life is to be that big green sign, a signpost. Where does your identity come from? So often we tie our identity to the things around us, to the things we accumulate, or our relationships, our careers. You may tie your identity to your vocation, your education, your family, your wealth, your status, your position, your titles, your looks, your fame, etc. But here's the reality. These don't define you. They may describe you, but they don't define you. They don't define you because they don't last. Who you are is intricately woven into your purpose that God has given you. Who you are is tied in with who you are in him and what he has in store for you, what he has planned to do through you. So for John's answers, they're not satisfactory. So he, the people keep pushing and they ask him, who are you? So they say, then if you're, not, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, then why are you baptizing? Who are you? Who, what authority do you have? And how is this even possible? Tell us so that we can take something back. And John answers them. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even one who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. See, this is a beautiful statement. During that time, a rabbi 
or a teacher, he had disciples who would follow him or learn from him, become like him. And so the disciples would do everything the rabbi needed. But in tradition, the only thing that a, 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 a disciple would not do for their rabbi was untie their sandals. Because to touch someone's feet was a very lowly task. That task was reserved for the slave. And John here is saying, I am even lower than a disciple. I am a slave. I am a nobody. I, am, I don't matter. When it comes to Christ, when it comes to this relationship, when it comes to everything that is happening, I don't matter. I am lower than anything that you can imagine. Listen, this is so different from the world that we live in, even the culture that we live in. Our culture says you need to promote your brand. You need to exalt yourself. You need to build yourself up so that the world recognizes you. And unfortunately, even in the church, it happens that way. We live in a world where we, we, we display our, our worth. And in the church, we often value the messenger more than the message. We value the messenger more than the Messiah sometimes. We will attach ourselves to a personality and we say, oh, I like him because he speaks well. I like her. She has great Instagram posts. I like, I like this person. I like this ministry. Instead of us saying, I like the Messiah that they're talking about. Too often, that becomes the case in the church. Jesus declares that John was the greatest man born of a woman. A statement like that, if you heard it, how would you respond? Honestly, some of us, we can say it would go to our heads. But John knows reality. He says, I am less than that. I am less than a slave. You see, it's a freeing thing when we realize that we're not a big deal. It's a burden to take off your shoulders that you don't have to always be that person trying to prove you're worth it or that you are a big deal. As a matter of fact, you know what? Let's do something. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this. I am not a big deal. For some of us, that was such a freeing thing to say. For some of us, that freaked us out. And continuing in John chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, this is what he says. The next day... He saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who's, who, who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on who you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, John. This whole conversation happens with all the leaders. And the next day, John sees Jesus coming, and he stands up in the midst of his disciples and says, there he is. He's the lamp of God. He's functioning. He's fulfilling his function as a signpost, saying that's the person who is worthy to be followed. Even as a matter of fact, next week we'll get into this, but his disciples would eventually leave him to go follow Jesus. 
He says, here's the lamp of God. Here's the one who you need to be paying attention to. I have a lot to say, but what I have to say is this, follow him. And you see the lamp of God, it's for us in our context today, it, it's a kind of a weird thing to say. But for them, for that moment, it made perfect sense because you see the lamb the lamb was something that a, a Jewish person or a follower of Yahweh would bring to the temple to sacrifice so that he or she would be forgiven of their sins. A lamb, they had to bring a lamb that was perfect. There was no perfect lamb, but they had to bring something as close to perfect as possible so that they could come and be forgiven of their sins. But here's what the, the scripture says. They would come year after year after year bringing this lamp, and it was never complete. The work was never complete. They would come back and say, I need to be forgiven again. And John is looking at Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, the unblemished lamb of God, the final lamb. And he's saying, that's the lamb that will take away your sins. He's saying Jesus has one purpose, and that is this, to take away your sins. He's here for that. And so if there's someone worth following, that's him. Go follow him. So today, that's the same call that John has for us through the word. He's saying, I'm standing here as a signpost saying, there is one. If you haven't encountered him, you need to. If you haven't trusted him, you need to. If you haven't trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to. Because only he can make it work. You see, if our lives are going to mean anything, it is only Jesus that can give us meaning. If, our life, if we're going to have access to God, it is only through Jesus. If we're, if we're going to be forgiven of our sins, it will only be through Jesus. If you're, the invitation here is open to all, if you are seeking that, seek him. And John declares, I have all, and I've seen, I've borne witness to this that he is the son of God. Basically, this is what John is saying. I am a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. I am a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. And that somebody was just Jesus. I'm here to point you to Christ. We have a story to tell, a brand to display but that purpose of this brand is not to look inwards and declare our greatness. I started off with a question. What is the point of your brand? What is the point of your story? What is the point of your life? The point of your life is simply this, to point to Christ. The point of your life is to point to Christ. You see, we make an incredible mistake when we think it's about us. It's about our story, that Jesus comes in to enhance our lives, that Jesus comes in to make us look better. Instead, we are here. It, John, uh, John Piper puts it this way, if you are God, your work is to create out of nothing. If you're not God, and that's all of us, your work is to take what God has made and shape it and use it to make him look great. That's your role. If you're not God, your role here basically is to take what you have, your life, the resources he's given you to make him look great, to point to him, to point to the work that he has done. And so if there's anything that you were aspiring to do today, anything that you want to build today, it's this, point to him, 
make him look great. Like John, we are, we are in, real, in reality, we're not worth much. And if our lives are going to point to Christ, we have to take on this attitude that we are not worth it, but he is. Here's a picture of a baseball card, Mickey Mantle, that was sold for $2.88 million just recently. It's a simple card. If you held it, it's, the paper is not that, that great. The image can be reproduced by a computer. You could print it out on your own. When, as a matter of fact, when it was first, purchased, when it was first produced, the owner of the card manufacturing company, he could not gift them away. He was selling them at carnivals for 10 cards for a penny. As a matter of fact, he had so many that at one point he threw away 300 cases in the ocean because he just did not have a way to get rid of them. And yet, here's a card that was sold for almost $3 million. You see, at some point, someone put value on that card. A card that was worth nothing, all of a sudden, is worth something. You and I, when we come to Christ, these cards, these bodies, these minds, these personalities that were worth nothing, all of a sudden, he ascribes something, and you are made valuable. Every one of you sitting here today, this is my, my, my story to tell you, that you are made valuable because of what he does. But let's not be fooled into thinking that because he's put value in us, that we are something. Let's not be fooled into thinking because he's made us valuable, we are more than he is. Our role in life is to simply point back to him. The measure of our lives should not be how many people get to follow us, but instead how many people we get to follow Christ. The depth of your brand is not in how much you are loved and respected, but instead in how well you point people back to Christ. Today, as I conclude here, one of the questions you may be asking is this, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, is all well and good. I know you want me to point to Christ, but I don't feel like I have what it takes. I don't have the right words. So I'll end with the story of John Egan. You see, John was a simple man. He was a poor shoemaker who lived in the, the mid-1800s in England. And one snowy morning, or one Sunday morning, he woke up to realize that a terrible storm had hit his part of, his part of the village or his part of town, and people were snowed in. And so he decided, you know what, church is not going to happen today, I'm going to stay home. But something in him said, you know what, I'm a deacon in this church, and if I don't go, no one else is going to go. So he walked the miles to his church. To surprise, there were about a dozen people, including a young 15-year-old there. And so Deacon John, a lowly shoemaker, he gets in, he opens up the church, and they're waiting. The preacher does not show. The preacher does not get there. And so John, not wanting to cancel the service, he decided, you know what, I'll, I'll say something. So he stood up, he opened up the scriptures, and he started to speak. He knew just enough to speak for 10 minutes, barely 10 minutes. And as he was concluding, 
Here's a man who was not educated, who was not, who did not have all the right words. He just stood up and he said, this is what I know of the word. And as he was concluding, he looked out back by the gallery. He saw this little 15-year-old boy sitting there. And something in him said, he looked at him and that boy just looked miserable. So he yells out, young man, you look miserable. But here's the reality. If you don't come to Christ, you will always be miserable. If you don't look to Christ, you will always be miserable. And he's standing out there. He yells at this boy, look, look, look to Jesus. And this 15-year-old boy would later write, I looked to Christ. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And at that moment, I saw the sun, and I could have risen that instant and sung with them enthusiastically that the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which alone took for me to see him. Oh, that someone had told me before, trust Christ and you will be saved. You see, that young man, he was Charles Spurgeon. If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he lived in the mid-1800s. He was one of the most influential people to come out of England. He, he, you know, some of you know that he spoke to thousands weekly. He was a pastor of the largest church in that day. He led many, many people to Christ. He established a school to train preachers, to train pastors. He did a myriad of things. He had a home for the orphans. All that can be led back to the shoemaker saying, look to Christ. I have nothing else to say but look to Christ. So this morning, as we conclude here, we're going to take a moment to take a look at our own lives. What is the point of your life? What is the point? What is the story you're, you're sharing? What is it that you're bringing to the people? John has this to say. The point of my life is to point to Christ. And so there are two kinds of people here this morning. There are some of us who have heard about this Jesus, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about him. And this is what John has to say. Look, the Lamb of God. Look, here's one who can solve the problem that you've been trying to solve all your life. He can bring a resolution to the problem of sin. He can bring a resolution to the problem of your salvation. Look to him. And so if you are here this morning and you want to encounter Christ, I would say this is your moment. Take a moment to pray. Take a moment to come back. Right in the back, some of our pastors, our elders will be there. We'll, we'll gladly pray with you. But for the rest of us here, let's grapple with this question. What is the point of my life? Ultimately, when all is said and done, will my life have pointed back to me or will it have pointed to Christ? And so I would ask, as, we, as we're led in worship, to take a moment to pray, take a moment to reflect, and walk away with the resolution. The point of my life is to point to Christ. So would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for the words of John. We're thankful for the testimony, the witness that he gives to who you are and what you do, that you are the ultimate Lamb of God who forgives our sins, who fills us with the Holy Spirit, who brings us redemption and restoration. 
And Lord, we thank you for the example of John. An example that simply says, I am nobody trying to tell everybody about this somebody. That I am nobody just pointing to Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live our lives that lives as a signpost, that exists as a signpost back to you. We ask that you would do your work amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.